Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, we're doing something a little different. A show I'm calling Best Kept Secret. One of our special shows where we're looking at some movies that my esteemed panel and indeed myself think haven't got the kudos, recognition or just people don't know about them at all. I'm delighted to be joined by Aoife Barry, who's, well, she's so many things, but most of all, she's the author of Social Capital, which I think it's fair to say has been going gangbusters this year, nominated for an Irish uh, On Post Book Award, when I get that correct. And Chris Wasser, who is a film critic, arts journalist, all sorts of things. And we are looking at movies that we feel don't get the recognition they deserve. If you would like to join the conversation, you can tweet me. X, whatever you call it these days, John underscore Fardy. Or the email, of course, is screentime at newstalk.com. Chris and Aoife, hello, how are you? Good, thanks. I'm well, John, how are you? Good, very excited about this. And I do want to do a caveat, like, this is, could go on forever. Like, you know, movies that you don't feel have enough recognition is an endless kind of conversation. But we have largely gone for three or four, each of us, that we hold dear. And we don't feel these movies have been given the love they deserve. And Aoife, I was delighted to see, when we start with you, your first choice, A New Leaf, which I I think people may not even be aware of. Yeah, I think people of a certain generation who are a fan of the director of and star of this um, film from 1971 will know about it in that it's kind of of a very certain time. Obviously, it came out in the early 70s and Elaine May is a director. She also stars in it and she's a really fascinating director. Obviously, like a female director working in the Hollywood system. Um, in, has, the 70s, in the 70s, which was Very notable. Also, really funny comedian. Um, and so this film, you know, some people will have heard of it and think, what? How could this be undersold or whatever? But I think it's one of these films where a lot of cinephiles know it or if you know it you know it if you don't you will not have a clue what this film is mm. and yet it was it was re-released on uh, DVD Blu-ray about five or six years ago um, and that's when I first got a hold of it and uh, during Covid I hadn't actually watched it I think and then during Covid myself and my friends did a kind of a like a film we kind of programmed a little film thing where we all watched the same films on across a couple of days and this was one of it and this was like the big hit on, okay. on the weekend so this is basically like I said directed and written by May based on a short story about a playboy who's played by Walter Matthau that immediately <laughs> is your I mean that's your <laughs> like Congress. golden ticket there right he is this bumbling um, playboy who was rich and is now poor and basically in order to get money needs to find her, her, an heiress and kill her so that he can <laughs> he can take her money and he meets this bumbling woman whose catchphrase as heavens and that woman is played by Elaine May to perfection and the two of them are just kind of complete eejits in totally different ways there's so much physical comedy in this it's real kind of like screwball comedy amazing lines you know like she drinks this wine and the catchphrase of the wine is every year is a good year which is a, <laughs> <laughs> which is a great a great joke for wine for wine lovers um, and it's just I think one also great thing about this was that or one funny thing about it is Elaine May famously always kind of overran when she was making her films in the mm-hmm. editing process so this totally overran the studio basically got hold of the um, the film and edited it themselves so there's like her obviously the director's cut and the, and the studio's cut but she also did that with her film Ishtar which is one of these infamous Hollywood flops yes. that like is you know, that cost a lot of money made that cost a yeah. huge amount of money so there is another version of this film where there's more, more murders and there's a whole subplot about misogyny but that all got cut out of the version okay. we have but it's such a treat you will just laugh a lot at this it's great. it is absolutely hilarious <laughs> and we do have some audio of that and it's funny like uh, Elaine made people aren't as familiar with her as they are with Walter Matthau yes. and wrongly so because she was incredible but that notwithstanding Walter Matthau is 
peerless in this. He is so funny. Both of them together work delightfully. Here's a rather funny piece from A New Leaf. Oh, Henrietta, if you care for me at all, even if you don't care for me at all, but feel that you could learn to care for me at all in a reasonable amount of time, please say yes. There is often a tidy profit in speculation. I, I care for you, Henry. I do care for you. Oh, Henrietta. Ah, damn it to hell. Did you hurt yourself? No, no. Kneeling on broken glass is my favorite pastime. It keeps me from slouching. Do you think you should get up, Henry? No, never. Not until I finish. I wouldn't kneel on anything for you, Henrietta. Henrietta, if you turn me down, it will be the end of me. I will literally not, have nothing. I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't. There would be such a... I won't. You I won't. wouldn't. I'm not you, going to turn you down, Henry. You're not? No. I love you, Henry. Kneeling on broken glass is my favourite pastime. <laughs> it stops me from slouching. I love this. I love Walter Matthau. I, I, I'm not as familiar with the Elaine May as I should be, but she's brilliant in this. Uh, I'm trying yeah. to think of what else I saw her and I can't remember that yeah. many things, but I do remember the whole debacle about Ishtar and Barry Norman, you know, furrowing his brow. And almost, not to talk ill of the dead, but there was a kind of misogynistic reaction to the fact that it was a woman who definitely. made that disaster. But Yeah, and I think she kind of, she definitely is someone who like suffered from that and is now mm. being re kind of reappraised in yeah. the sense of being a director but at the same time she's hugely famous in the US as a comedian yeah. she would have been in a double act with Mike Nichols That's right. for a long time and like if you ever want I'm sure you've watched them but if you ever want a treat just go on and just you know go onto YouTube Elaine May Mike Nichols and watch their skits I was watching one this morning at the, at they did it like a Jimmy Carter event that was just so funny and they're just, Conan O'Brien loves uh, Nicholas and May he, he talks about them there you go you a know. classic a classic double act so yeah, yeah it's it's I just think this this film is so great on on its uh, you know f- on its own, but also tells a really interesting story about kind of women it, women in cinema and also about American comedy and how, how it developed. Uh, yeah. So yeah, and that's great. that's all very serious stuff and rightly so. But it's a damn funny movie. And it's, it's very important that. to say that Simply. if you've just tuned in, you're listening to special screen time that I'm calling best kept secret. Not really sure why I'm using that moniker, <laughs> but let's go with it. Where we're looking at some movies we feel not enough people know about. Chris Wasser's with me as is Eva Barry. Chris, have you seen a new leaf? Uh, I've never watched it from start to end. It's one of those. I don't know why. I have a collection of films that I've never. Um, yeah, yeah, and, seen and, bits of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That okay. could be something. That could be a thing where maybe every weekend I could maybe pick one film to actually yeah. watch from. from. So I'll start. With you that. do have a lot of movies to watch. Yeah. So listen, let's go to your first choice, Waves. And I completely agree with you. This has yeah. this has died a death for no apparent reason that I can tell. But tell us more. It has, and the director Trey Edward Schultz. He kind of seemed to disappear. He does have a new feature. In the pipeline, which I think Barry Keoghan might be involved in, and we'll come back to Barry later Indeed on in the show. Um, but I think this is a good example of of the Oscars uh, not getting things right, mm. you know, and and they they that's that's an awful habit that they have with the motion picture <laughs> at the Academy. Um, and the year that this was released, I think you had the seventeen of the actors nominated for acting awards were white. And so there was a huge controversy. There was a huge fuss here because, you know, you had stellar performances from, from Sterling K. Brown, from Kevin Harrison Jr., from Taylor Russell in this film. Uh, this for me was, was one of the best. And it pe- didn't get one acting nod. Not for one acting nod. Okay. And the worst thing is nobody went to see it. I think its final box office tally was something like 2.8 million, oh. which is not great, even for like a small A24 yeah. independent drama like this. Although A24 has a huge fan base. It's yeah. so weird that a studio or, and, and a distributor would have a fan base. They're probably yeah. the big 
biggest clever, indie yeah. group yeah. as indie go. But anyway, yeah, but, r- remind people what it's about. Well, it's actually a, a story about kind of two teenagers whose lives take an irreversible turn, and it's uh, split into two halves. One of them uh, uh, following a young man named Tyler Kelvin Harrison Jr., and the other following uh, his sister, played by T- Taylor Russell. And in the first half, we see that um, uh, t- Tyler he's got this promising wrestling career. He hopes after he leaves school, and his dad, his mom and dad, like they are very they're they're financially comfortable. Uh, they're financially comfortable. His dad, Ronald, runs a um, uh, a construction business, a very successful construction business, and he's constantly pushing his son, and he's trying to, you know, instill like a similar work ethic in him. You have to work out before school, you have to get top grades, you have to mm-hmm. work out with me after school, you can't be spending time with your girlfriend. He's pushing them to the point that you can see in the beginning, this is going to crack, something's going to happen here. Um, but it's actually an injury that sets off this horrible chain of events where he's told by a doctor, you've done serious damage to your shoulder, you can forget about the wrestling career. Um, and that just kind of sets him off on a spiral. You know, he goes out and he he, he indulges in destructive behavior. He, he drinks too much. He has a very, very bad reaction to his girlfriend, Alexis, telling him uh, that he's pregnant. And I won't give away that what happens. Pregnant. That she's pregnant, yes. sorry. Um, and that, I won't would give away what, that would be a fascinating film. Um, but I won't give away what happens. But no. I will say that uh, the director, uh, 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 Mr. Edward Schultz, he, he he toys with the aspect ratio, so it's all in widescreen at the beginning. Yeah, and when things and because everything's going very well for this young man, but then it just begins to shrink into you know a four by three box ratio, like and and it's just it's it's kind of a sense that things are closing in on Tyler. And I know that sounds a little bit gimmicky, mm. but it works mm. because it just increases the anxiety yeah. and the dread. And you know something terrible is going to happen. Something terrible does happen in the second half. We kind of, you know, we're, we're, we're in total darkness. We kind of head towards the light with the sister portrayed by uh, uh, Taylor Russell um, and how whatever her brother did impacts her life mm-hmm. and how she kind of drifts away from her parents. Her parents' marriage is actually falling apart, but she finds light in this uh, 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 classmate of her brother's portrayed by Lucas Hedges and just kind of finds out who she is. Mm. Just away from brother because she's always she was always in in in, in his shadow basically. So a film of two halves, beautifully directed, brilliantly performed. Sterling K. Brown here for me is just magnificent. That's my memory of that movie. Yeah, he's he's. I said peerless already. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm saying it. He's amazing in it, though. He is. Yeah. And do you know what? This was. I I watched this film before I uh, started. This is us. Um, oh, yeah. I feel like before This Is Us I, I, I was a fan of Sterling K. Brown's work and then yeah. and now I re- always refer to him as Randall I don't know if you guys But do you like him no, in This Is Us? Uh, if, oh brilliant Yeah, yeah, just yeah. I just thought you were going to say he wasn't good in And it. a very similar sort of character not yeah. to the point where he's you know uh, emotionally manipulative and abusive but just kind of maybe pushes himself and pushes his yeah. family and expects too much yeah. uh, at, at times but he is just terrific in this uh, particularly in the second half when he begins to realise that you know he might have been a little bit too hard on on, on his kids. Um, excellent, wonderful things came of like uh, the the young cast. Taylor Russell we saw in Bones and All mm-hmm. last year, and Luca Guadagnino's yeah. very weird cannibalistic love story. <laughs> yes. uh, but that left a mark. And this would have been—I know a lot of people would have went, went to see that film and thought. Where did she come from? She came from this film. This yeah. was her breakout. Uh, and Kelvin Harrison Jr. has done great things too. Um, although I didn't like the film, we discussed it earlier this year, he was very good in Chevalier. Yes. Uh, so great performers, great filmmakers. This is actually from the filmmaker of, um, uh, he did uh, It Comes at Night. Oh, yes. Uh, oh. And again, as I say, he has another film yeah. in the works with Barry Keoghan. I wish more people went to see this. So yeah. if you haven't watched this, uh, find it on a streaming service. Yeah. Uh, rectify that. And it is definitely on a streaming service because I saw it earlier today. Way, that's Chris first not Chris's first nomination in our best kept secret show. Aoife, have you seen Waves? No, I haven't. Um, and I remember when it came out in the cinema, I just didn't catch it at the time, but mm-hmm. talking to somebody who worked in cinema saying who was saying, This film's brilliant and I can't mm-hmm. understand why more people aren't 
going to it. Yeah. I don't. I can't remember what was out at that time or what was happening that meant that people just weren't going to see that film. But it was one of those ones that like yeah. Yeah. slipped between the cracks because it wasn't like people were reading bad reviews of it. Mm. It was more like it just wasn't in the ether. Yeah. yeah. Again, which is strange, strange considering it was a twenty four. But I suppose yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah. And that January can happen. Film. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe a problem. Yeah. 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 So many great films can yeah. just slip through the cracks in yeah. January, and that's kind of you know we're we're we've been led to believe that this is Oscar season yeah. and that you know every there's there's there, every film film that's in cinemas is worth to watch that's true but not everyone can go see all of them um, yeah. so no, yeah exactly Absolutely. yeah so forth. so that is waves a great movie that chris wasser wishes had more love it's fair to say that chris yes, isn't it that's in a bit weird like it was on an adult <laughs> chat room or something but it's a movie he thinks a lot me a lot more people should have seen and i concur with him we're going to get to my first choice if that's okay mm-hmm. sea of love from 1989 al pacino and ellen barkin this is a movie that came out kind of after Jagged Edge and Fatal Attraction and things like that. So I, I think it got, we are talking about why it didn't do as well as it should have. Now, it did pretty well at the box office, but people have forgotten about it. But I think it's seen as almost coming after that whole period of, you know, the bunny boiler and all that awful stuff. This is Al Pacino playing a cop whose life is falling apart. He's divorced and he's really not happy about it. But he comes across this case where a man is found dead in a bed having gone on a date. Then John Goodman, who's in another borough in New York, Queens or Brooklyn, I'm not sure. They all, if it's not Manhattan, they all fade into one really, don't they? (laughs) But they realise that he has a case as well where it's very similar and they figure out that there is someone meeting people in personal ads and then there's a serial killer killing some of these people they go on dates with. So Al Pacino, and it's a serious movie, but there are very funny parts in it, not least of all when Al Pacino and John Goodman go to their respective bosses and say, we're going to put an ad in a personal thing and we're going to go on all these dates and wire people up. And the guy's looking at him and going, listen, if you want to meet women, there's easier ways to do it than yeah. doing this. But they eventually convince him. And Al Pacino goes on all these dates trying to find the killer. And then Ellen Barkin comes on the scene on one of these dates. And they initially have absolutely no chemistry, which you will hear from this clip of Sea of Love. You know, it's interesting. You're coming from uh, <clears throat> York, Pennsylvania, because in a way... You went from York to New York. You like the park and I like the beach. You like movies, I like plays. You're a printer, I manage a shoe store. And I don't believe in wasting time on this kind of stuff. You know what you know, and you go with it. You go with what? You're just not my type. Oh, well, I mean, uh, just sat down, you know, a little bit of time. I believe in animal attraction. I believe in love at first sight. I believe in this. And I don't feel it with you. Their relationship heats up. They meet again by chance in a fruit store, I think it is. And they eventually get together. Al Pacino falls head over heels for her. And and we'll stop because I don't want to give any more away. But the rub of the whole piece becomes, is she the killer? Mm. And it's so brilliantly done. The... It's quite erotic and their sex scenes are the right kind of sex scenes in that they convey character dimensions and it's not just eroticism for its own sake. It's actually conveying parts of the narrative, which is not often done in movies. So it's proper sex. It's really noir. It's such a brilliant, dark New York. And Pacino and Ellen Ellen Barkin just 
sizzle when they're on screen together. And I read a review last night by uh, Roger Ebert, who often gets it right, but said he was really disappointed with the ending. I thought the ending was phenomenal, I have to say. It's one of those endings that sticks in my mind as a real, that's what happened? It's brilliant. So Sea of Love is my first nomination in this Best Kept Secret special. Guys, have you seen it? No, but I now want to watch this immediately. This this sounds so good, right up my alley. Yeah. I'm going to be a constant source of disappointment today. Have you watched this, Chris? No. Me too. I don't think, I I think I'm like, I I mean, I remember when the trailer came out for whatever. Um, I think I remember, I do remember that coming out as a kid, but I I have not seen it. It I hope I haven't oversold it now because you guys haven't seen it, but it is, it is a great dark thriller. It's not making any case for the wider world. Well, maybe it is about Mm. loneliness and stuff like that, but it is an on the money thriller, which isn't in, Pacino or Barkin's canon Barkin sorry his canon yeah. when we go to talk about their respective careers but they are both brilliant and John Goodman is also very good in it and it ends with a Tom Waits song so what's well, not to extra love star. Yeah. extra yeah. star exactly yeah. six stars Chris <laughs> which we're not too familiar giving on this show if you've just tuned in you're listening to a special uh, screen time this week where we're looking at some movies we think should be better known I'm calling it best kept secret mm-hmm. if you'd like to get in touch you can email us screentime at newstalk.com I have Eva Barry and Chris Wasser in studio with me. We're going to take a quick ad break and we will return with many, many more. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. No TV this week because we're doing something a little different. One of our theme shown where theme shows where Aoife Barry and Chris Wasser and myself are choosing movies that we feel should get more kudos, respect, knowledge. People should watch them and they haven't. Aoife, we go to you with a movie I've heard about but I've never seen and never rarely, sometimes, always and is possibly more current because mm. of things that went on in America last year. Yeah, it's so interesting. So this film came out in 2020 and it came out obviously during COVID so it didn't get a theatrical release. Um, Instead, it went on to streaming. So I think it suffered from that where it came out. The director is Eliza Hitman who directed Beach Rats and which was another one I actually haven't seen. Stars Harris Dickinson who's doing a lot more stuff now. Um, But that was like his one of his first one of his first roles, people have seen him in like Triangle of Sadness and and a few other a few other things. Um, and this is a really interesting one because it's very kind of low key, very like character study film and very very sad and emotional, but mm. really really beautifully shot. Um, and like you're saying, it is very the topic is became even more important because um, after Roe versus Wade was overturned in the US, um, there was obviously a huge focus on abortion rights. And this film is about a teenage girl who lives in Pennsylvania. Um, in kind of you know present day, but before you know before Roe versus Wade was overturned, she lives in Pennsylvania. She f- finds out that she's pregnant and she wants to have a termination. She's really young, very poor, works in um, a local shopping centre with her cousin, and in Pennsylvania she can't get a termination, so she has to go to New York City with her sister. It's such a, like an impactful film because you you don't get all this like in dialogue or interior sense of what the characters are thinking. You just mm-hmm. see what they're doing, the decisions they have to make, you know, her attempts to terminate the pregnancy herself. Then she realises she has to go to New York. You know, she goes to um, a crisis pregnancy centre where they're trying to, you know, to convince her to go against what she wants mm-hmm. to do. She goes to New York with her cousin, Sydney, um, uh, sorry, her cousin Skylar, and they bring these like massive suitcases because they're too poor to afford any kind of anything fancy they're running out of money as they're there. They run into these young guys and kind of try to figure out can they kind of use these guys to hang out with them to kind of make them feel a bit safe in this mm. big city. Um, Sharon Van Etten is in it, playing her stepmother as well. I think she has some music on the soundtrack. 
it's just a really impactful moving film it is really sad obviously the topic might not suit some people mm-hmm. um you know but for me i just felt it was such a really true of you know evocative film about what young people young women have to go through yeah. when they're when they don't have rights over their own bodies and then the fact that you know two years later Roe versus Wade is overturned it means that anybody in the states you know living in whatever state um generally has has an issue with, with this mm-hmm. so yeah i think if you really want to see a really thoughtful, beautifully shot, moving depiction of the struggles that a lot of people are going through worldwide around Mm -hmm. this issue, then watch Never Rarely Sometimes Always. And the journey to that, and let's call it possible, termination Mm -hmm. is long and varied. I gather, like does her, whether she's, it's the wrong phrase, going to go through with it or not, I I gather that ebbs and flows. Yeah, well you're also, she's up against the the timing issue because she's so young, which she's 17 when she finds out she's pregnant, you don't know who the father is. They're kind of, you you suspect that there's a lot of darkness behind that, Mm. but you're not too sure what exactly the situation was. Um, You know she's up against the time because because she has to go to a crisis pregnancy centre, get that confirmed, then has to get enough money to try and get a, a bus ticket to go to New York then has to go to a clinic there like yeah. it's very very realistic in terms okay. of the barriers um, but it's also just really beautiful depiction of, of relate like relationships in terms of friendships I think it's her cousin um, yeah her cousin Skylar goes with her but their relationship is lovely and they support mm. each other and that's really beautiful it sounds really really dark and depressing but it's actually a very beautiful film and it's so beautifully done so Eliza Hitman is, is a director there she hasn't made another one since then but fingers crossed you'll have okay. a fourth film out so that's on. never rarely some Sometimes always I'm cheating and slipping one in but the streaming thing reminded me the same year there was a really good Ben Affleck movie called The Way Back where he plays a basketball oh, coach yeah, yeah. Yeah, problem yeah. Very nice. just no one has ever heard about now I'm not saying I necessarily put it in this list but it was very very yeah. good and mm. no one even seems to know about it because it was caught in that really strange bad time year, where yeah. we're going to wait to release it and then they thought oh no it's been too long let's just put it on a streamer anyway Aoife Barry there talking about Never Rarely Sometimes Always Chris next movie I have seen uh, really incredible film American Animals yeah it's a weird one it's a heist film that uh, is both a, a drama and in part a documentary yeah. uh, Bart Layton who has a his background is in documentary making um, he just he just decided to have a little bit of fun with the, with the genre he's not obviously the first person to try something like this but but the first person in a while maybe to do it so so well yeah um, and it was about the Transylvania University uh, heist in 2004 um, a university in Kentucky where four or Egypt's, let's just let's just be honest, right? Who attended the university thought it'd be a good idea to rob the college library because they saw that a lot of the a lot of the books that they had housed there, you know, behind kind of lock and key. One of them was John James Audubon's The Boards of America. Uh, they were worth an awful lot of money, and there was um, a Darwin book in it. There was, yeah, yeah. So they kind of re- they, they they had this list of books that they thought, look, we'll get these, and then despite the fact that we know nothing about this world and that we're not criminals and we've never done anything like this before, <laughs> we'll find a way to sell them on the black market. And, you know, they hadn't really thought this through. Um, but the the really interesting thing about this is that Bart Layton rounded up the four guys who did this and got them to sit down and tell their story. Um, and so you know straight away that this has not gone well for them <laughs> and that they might have been punished along the way. So it's kind of the 
the Ron Howard Apollo 13 problem. It's like everyone knows how this ends. So how do we mm. kind of still ha- keep the audience on site for yeah. two hours? How do we build up tension? I, I, I don't know how filmmakers like, like Barclay and like Ron Howard do it, but they manage to create something that just has your stomach in shreds mm. and you don't know how it's going to... Even though you know how it's going to end, you just... you. You don't really. It's almost that like you're 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 just tricked by it. Um, but Barry Kilgan is in this. He uh, is playing a, a fellow named Spencer, who um, a little like his character. Well, maybe not, but playing another guy who's not really settling in in college, and we see that in Southburn. That's out at yeah. the minute. Um, in 2003, he doesn't really have many friends. He doesn't really know what he wants to do. He's studying art, as I say, but he's a little bit lost. Makes the mistake of getting high one night with a guy named Warren, portrayed by Evan Peters, and they talk about what it would be like, as I say, to rob a library, to have loads of money. But it's the same way a bunch of lads might sit around and go oh yeah it would be great if we had all the money in the world I'll rob a bank tomorrow War- <laughs> Spencer wakes up the next day gets on with his life Warren starts actually developing blueprints and plans yeah. and, and and says no we're going to do this they bring in some um, some other players to help them achieve it they try and figure out what they're going to do with the librarian who's always there uh, played by the brilliant Anne Dowd um, and it just it goes sideways yeah. um, it's it's very funny uh, it's quite it's darkly funny uh, brilliantly performed Barry Kogan you think that Barry Kogan, uh, someone said to me recently that Barry uh, is, is, they think that Barry is always kind of picking similar roles and playing the same character. I'm going to call BS on that. Like, yeah. I think he, he is always trying to mix things up and I think he always prioritizes story and also directors and tries to do something different. In this, he is, he's not playing the guy who's planning everything. No. He's not playing the worst guy in the group. No. He's playing the tortured conscience of the group yeah. and the guy who's constantly saying, I really don't think we should do this and people might get hurt and we might get hurt and we might ruin our lives here. And he's playing, yeah, It's so it's an interesting role for him. Evan Peters is having a great time as the one guy who is just, you know, completely deluded. Uh, brilliantly filmed, as I said, just, it's it just, it's so, it, I felt so queasy watching it. Like the actual heist bit, the way you have the the, the real life subjects commentating yeah. on it and also the, the, the actors playing it out. It sounds a little bit like it might be a, um, a tricky balancing act. It's actually perfect. Um, and I think also Bart Layton, this film wouldn't have worked if it was a if it was a story about bad people. Mm. It's a story about stupid people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think Bart Layton understands the difference and that we can maybe at times root for stupid people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great that's because, a great way of putting it. For for life in general, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm not bad, I'm just stupid. No, I because mean, they might at some point learn their lesson. Yeah. And listening to the real life guys talk, you realize that okay, they did. So if you haven't seen this, go see. There was a bit of a controversy after its release that um I think it was Movie Pass Distribution who also put out that John Travolta film Gotti. Oh yeah. Um, that they found that in the opening weekend and also uh, because it was a spectacular box office bomb, but they've um, uh, industry experts found that movie pass distribution actually uh, made up 20 or 25% of the tickets from the opening weekend. So you essentially had <laughs> the people who made for the film and paid for the film paying for its success. <laughs> oh, it was a bit of a weird one. Okay. Um, so yeah, d- again, likewise, didn't make an awful lot of money, but deserves uh, a revisit. Yeah, well, outside of that, the, the point is a great movie and the, point you made about like the real people and then actors you think it's incongruous but it's not it works brilliant I'm not yep. even sure how if he did it it's also hilarious at times yeah. we have a little clip of this and you will see life and art and all sorts of things mirroring each other this is a clip from American Animals the whole point of the names was so that nobody knew what the others were called so they couldn't give each other up relax okay it's just protocol so we don't address each other by our names during the robbery okay mm-hmm. no names Mr. Pink and they all die in the end of that movie. Spencer was Mr. Green because he smoked lots of green. Eric was Mr. Black because he said his soul was black. I was Mr. Yellow because I was I was my mom's sunshine. And 
I named Chaz Mr. Pink just to f with him. I'm not gonna be Mr. Pink. I'm gonna be any color but pink. <laughs> it's probably my least favorite Tarantino film. Okay. <laughs> Aoife, have you seen American Animal? I have, and I had forgotten that I saw it until oh. you started talking about it. It's really good. Yeah. That is, I completely blanked that film out, even though I remember watching it and thinking, how is that going to work, the documentary and the feature side of it? And it's it's really good. Yeah. 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 Really enjoyed it. Well, it's so fantastic. Yeah. Great film. And, and available to stream now, because I checked as well, American Animals. Before we take another ad break, I'm going to give you another quick one of a movie that I think doesn't get the love it deserves. And I'm talking about Nobody's Fool, starring Paul Newman. Chris, have you seen it? I think I have, yes. Aoife, have you seen it? You haven't, sure you have. That's okay. So you told me that before you came on. And the reason why I chose this is it's a delightful film, but it is a masterclass by Paul Newman. So Nobody's Fool, he plays this guy called Sully who's in his early 60s and he ha- he's lived a kind of dissolute life. He's been a very bad dad, hasn't seen his son in a long time. He kind of works odd jobs. He stays upstairs like in a rooming house from his eighth grade teacher. She lives below him and she offers him tea every day and he says, not now, not tomorrow, not ever. And he kind of has a bit of a limp and he walks around the town. It's in this uh, North Bath, I think it is, a kind of classic New York upstate kind of town that you could almost forget about snowy streets it has a population of about 10,000 and kind of a nice community and he does odd jobs in construction the man who kind of in charge of most of the construction is Bruce Willis who's a bit of a jackass in this he's married to Melanie Griffiths who Sully's character possibly is slightly in love with or whatever his life is going along and then his son resurfaces and it kind of causes him to reassess things and he starts to form a bond with his son's son. And he has this idea that maybe I'll make up for lost time by being a grandfather to the son of the son I never was to my actual son. And he starts to bond and maybe maybe makes up for some of the sins of the past. And it has this delightful, kind of sad, melancholy hue to it that since I saw the first time on a VHS in 1995, I've never quite forgotten. I remember not knowing what it was, just putting it on and seeing these snowy New York kind of side streets and just fallen in love with it ever since. And Paul Newman just has this laconic world weariness to him in it that uh, it's just absolutely gorgeous let me bring you a little flavor of nobody's fool i ask you a question why'd you do it walk out on us oh how the hell do i know it was um a mistake i mean in your mother was just a mistake what would you like me to say I was a rotten father. Well, I wasn't around enough for that, remember? Not around. Not ever. Satisfied. Well, if you're not a father to me, how come you're a grandfather to Will? Because you got to start someplace. You know, and in a way, it's a movie about regret. And that sounds, I want to watch a whole movie about someone regretting. But there's a lot of hope in it as well. It is quite simply delightful. Anyone have anything to say? It sounds like a lot <laughs> I feel like I've done this, this declamatory. You better like this movie. But it sounds like a real kind of Christmassy film. Yeah, like, I know it's sad, but you know the way those kind of films where you're like, you want to be just thrown into 
New York City in the snow. Yeah. And I'm sorry, it's Canada not New York City. It's oh, it's an upstate New York oh, sorry, town. Okay. Sorry, yeah, and I did say the New York streets, but I meant these kind of real suburban, suburban New York yeah. streets. You know, that sounds lovely. It is kind of a Christmassy movie now that you say. Chris, do you have any memories of it? You you think you've seen it, but you can't. I think remember. I have. Yeah, I think I saw it years ago. Actually, yeah. yeah. But that Paul Newman, at any age, always had this ability to just like break my heart. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. and also Bruce Willis. Like when 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 the time, I, I feel like when when we think of Bruce Willis, we just go immediately to his action role. But we forget that, you know, when when called to the task, like, he could be a yeah. strong, dramatic actor. Absolutely. You know, you put him in a Paul Newman film, you think Bruce Willis is not going to do well here. Yeah. He does. He does well. Yeah. Manly Griffith's great in it. She's not in it a lot, but she is great in it. That is Nobody's Fool from 1994, which is one of our movies in our little show this week on Screen Time. Best Kept Secret, where myself, Aoife Barry and Chris Wasser are looking at some movies we think deserve more credit and just deserve more people watching them. We have a few more to go, so we're going to take a quick ad break and we shall return with more movies. Now you're welcome back to the last part of Screen Time. Aoife Barry and Chris Wasser are with me in studio and we're calling this show Best Kept Secret where we're looking at some movies that we feel don't get enough attention or enough love or people haven't seen. Movies that Aoife and Chris and myself respectively love and feel more people should know about. Now I'm delighted to say finally we're getting to something Irish, Aoife. Yeah. This is Michael Inside, which came out in 2017. And again, you know, I think anybody who follows Irish cinema will remember this coming out and will know Frank Berry, the director of it and the writer of it as well. I mean, he's he's, he's a prominent Irish director. But I still feel like it's kind of one that doesn't come up a lot in conversation and it still deserves that that love. I, I just loved this film so much. I mean, as you could tell from my last pick, I do like kind of sad, depressing, socially driven <laughs> films at times. Also love action films and Bruce Willis climbing up, you know, a skyscraper or whatever. But um, that is also amazing. But I just love this because I thought it was just really, really powerful and it shows a kind of a community that doesn't often get this sort of depiction, um, sensitive depiction mm-hmm. on screen, particularly in Ireland. So it's about a young a young guy who's 18, it's called Michael McRae and he lives in a housing estate in Dublin with his granddad who's played by Lawler Rod who just broke my heart in this film and I don't think it has ever um, gone back together. <laughs> so amazing. Um, Jaffet Flynn, Flynn plays Michael. Um, basically, Michael is a young guy who's you know surrounded by pals who might be more or less you know troublesome than other ones. He's been dealt a really hard um, line in life. His, his mother, I think, um, has died of an overdose. His dad is in prison. So he has a lot of things kind of going against him, but he's, he's determined to have like a positive, a positive kind of life going forward. But one day a friend of his asks him to hold a bag of drugs in the house mm-hmm. for his brother. Just kind of do me a favour. Listen, it'll be no hassle. Pick it up off you. Be grand. As expected, things don't go well. He gets caught in possession with it. And I think he had always was already on probation over another very, very minor thing. So he gets sent to prison at 18 years of age. He's, you clearly get the sense that he's like a very sensitive young guy who gets on very well with his granddad. Um, and when he's in prison, he's plunged into this new life where he mm. has to try and negotiate life in a Dublin prison. Scary. It's mm. so scary. Like you're terrified for him. And it's shot really, you know, really well and, and really interestingly in terms of its the framing is a lot of him being trapped in spaces, you know, um, which might seem kind of an obvious way to frame things, but it works so well because he's in a prison where he's literally behind bars. Um, and he, he meets a character played by Mo Dunford, who's always really good at those kind of intense, aggressive characters. And he takes him under his wing, you know, in a kind of a negative way and you just you're on the edge of your seat following Michael's story 
just basically keeping your fingers crossed that somehow he'll make it out of this and that he will be able to escape from it but everything feels like it's against him for a lot of this film and I think what's really great about it is that they made it um, with the cooperation of people from Pathways who are people who spend time in prison Mm -hmm. so you weren't just having you know Frank Berry is not the filmmaker and for all his career he's not the filmmaker who turns up and just makes a film about something and doesn't do his research he talks to the people involved in the community like with his recent film Asia about direct provision he does so much research and work with people and that all of that feeds in so well into this that you just I think you kind of you're changed after watching it You, if you've never thought about as a lot of people haven't if you haven't thought about what it's like to be an underprivileged teenager who ends up in jail mm. over something that was a kind of a small mistake this will really open your eyes and you know to what people experience and I think it really brings a lot of empathy towards people and that's the dream of filmmaking I think to bring empathy for the, for people in these sort of situations so, and it's such right. a realistic depiction of work I was going to say working class Dublin but working class life yeah. in, in certain places that so many times it's not Hollywood eyes but they seem to get wrong and I grew up in working class yeah. Dublin so I talk with a tiny bit of authority but yeah. the depiction of it is, is note perfect I think you know yeah Chris you've seen Michael and fabulous yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, no it's it's one of the best Irish films the last 10 years yeah. I think mm-hmm. uh, and I do appreciate as, as Aoife was saying the, the work that Frank Berry Yes. Was, I think he spent like 18 months uh, um, uh, researching with the Irish Prison Service yeah. uh, and just to create, you know, a screenplay that was truthful and authentic. And uh, Daffod Flynn was, was fantastic in it. And, and I thought this, and, and again, Lala Roddy is heartbreaking. Yeah. I thought, um, and this came along at a time when it almost seemed like... Um, Mo Dunford, who I loved, was it yeah. almost seemed like he was contractually obliged to be in every Irish film yeah, around that yeah. time. But he is brilliant in this. Yeah. And when I first went to see it, I was at a screening with the cast and creatives, and Mo Dunford was sitting beside me. And I knew Mo Dunford's uh, scenes, and I didn't know who he played in the film, but I knew his scenes were about to come up because he started moving around a lot in the seat. Oh. And then I realized afterwards he's he's nervous, um, and uh, he didn't need to be. He, he is brilliant yeah. in this. Incidentally, Mo Dunford is great in an Irish TV show from earlier this year or late last year called The Dry, where Roisin Gallagher oh, yeah, is yeah. That, yeah. giving yeah. up the drink, so to speak, and he plays this artist. He's very funny in it. Oh, really. He's always great. He's great. A wonderful actor. So, Chris, from the mean streets of Dublin to the equally mean, in some fashion, streets of San Francisco with your next choice, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful film from Joe Talbot and Jimmy Fales. Uh, sort of a semi-autobiographical tale for, for Jimmy Fales. Uh, we're, d- we're dealing with two um, two artists here who are childhood friends and Jimmy Fales always wanted to make a, a film uh, or a story uh, based on this, uh, uh, just based on his childhood loosely, that he was obsessed with this house that he was convinced his grandfather had built in the Fillmore District in San Francisco. Francisco. Um, and it just, uh, you know, he was kind of a struggling actor. Uh, Joe Talbot was a struggling director. So they actually had to uh, um, start a Kickstarter uh, fundraising uh, campaign to acquire uh, just a, a few grand to make this. Um, and when it was initially shown, I think at Sundance, uh, Brad Pitt's Plan B company came in and they said, we're going to give you even more money and yeah. you can, you know, refine it, you know, we'll, 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 we'll produce it, we'll distribute it. Um, but the story, it's so simple, but so effective. Um, but it's about this young man, Jimmy, um, played by Jimmy Fails so he's playing a dramatized yeah. version of himself and he lives with his best friend Montgomery uh, played by Jonathan Majors who we'll come back to in a minute um, but they uh, they are every day waiting on a bus that you know always seems like it's never going to come to bring them to the Fillmore District they do live in San Francisco but they're going across town to just look at and stand outside this house that Jimmy yeah. is obsessed with it's his childhood home he's convinced it's a gorgeous Victorian uh, uh, home that he is convinced his grandfather built um, and they are always kind of one, uh, and Jimmy 
Montgomery who works as a carer, Montgomery who works in, in, in a fish shop, they're always kind of wondering, wouldn't it be great, you know, to have the, 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 the funds to, to buy this house? But, you know, the people who live there don't want to sell it. Mm. But I won't say what happens, but something, uh, 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 a strange event occurs where the house is all of a sudden vacant and Jimmy thinks it would be a great idea to just move in. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll, just, we'll just set up home here. Um, and they do that. And, you know, you don't need me to tell you that. It probably <laughs> doesn't, doesn't, end, doesn't end well for them. Um, it's just a very simple story about uh, friendship, about uh, trying to, you know, about home and what that means mm-hmm. and trying to figure out, you know, what, what, what it is. Uh, gentrification, uh, uh, environmental concerns are in there, uh, gun violence, racial divide in America. And like what I was saying about, you know, all of the stuff that's uh, very different films, but like what I was saying about American Animals being a, a, a tricky balancing act. This too is a film that has an awful lot of themes and ideas, mm-hmm. but they're, the, 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 the filmmakers t- take an awful, take, they, they take two hours and a bit to explore them. It takes its mm-hmm. time. The, uh, you know, you might watch this film and think, well, nothing really happens in this. There, it does. Yeah. You know, it is about, it is about all of those things and it does take its time. Um, I think uh, it's a tricky film to talk about because Jonathan Majors at the minute, he is in court on trial uh, for domestic violence and for uh, harassment. And and it kind of starts up that conversation, you know, how do we separate the artist from the art? But the reason I picked it is because there were an awful lot of talented people involved in this yes. film. Yeah. And Jimmy Fails and Joe Talbot shouldn't be punished or they shouldn't Absolutely. be, you know, we shouldn't then decide that we can't watch this film because of what Jonathan Majors yeah. may have done. Yeah. Um, so I think if you haven't seen this film, go back and watch it. Uh, I, w- I remember at the time thinking, I can't wait to see what Joe Talbot does next. I don't really think he's done anything next. I was mm-hmm. looking at his filmography. He directed a video for, um, I don't what I mean, to say is that I don't think he directed another film or at least not yet he directed a music video for Adele a couple of years ago okay. we've seen Jimmy Fails in a few things one of them was uh, Pieces of a Woman uh, with Vanessa Kirby yeah. um, he has a few projects in the pipeline I want to see those guys more Jonathan Majors broke out of this like this was his, his breakout role I want to see more from Jimmy uh, Jimmy Fails and Joe Talbot I actually really enjoyed Pieces of a Woman great film and Vanessa yeah. Kirby's amazing that. and that's kind of a movie no I know it was Oscar nominated and all but that's kind of again it was COVID-esque I think that's died a bit of a death I yeah. think more people should see that one yes. yeah. that's fantastic it had a movie. lot of talk before it came out yeah. a big one but then like that afterwards yeah. kind of it's, it's a difficult topic as well too so maybe there's that kind of yeah. thing to do it. getting back to The Last Black Man in San Francisco there is it has that great thing that it has this indie sensibility yeah. that I just can't put my finger on, but it's just, it's something the way it's lit or something and the slowness of it. Now, I know yeah. like, oh, people are like two hours about some guy, but it, it lets it breathe and it just, it's filmed in a way that's, it's kind of airy or something and they're going down the streets of San Francisco yeah. on scooters at times and it's also, there's a, a wistful dreamy quality to yeah. it, even though it's a serious kind of topic, what it's all about, but it's it's just beautifully it comes together as a whole package. It's a trip. It's no surprise to hear that Joe Talbot would have gone on to make uh, music videos because at times it is beautifully scored and it's beautifully shot and at times it does play out a little bit like a music video because you you think, you hear San Francisco in film and you think, well, we've seen San Francisco in film a million times. Not like this, you haven't. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, the whole exactly. film just kind of seems to be drenched in this uh, warm sunshine yeah. just to kind of reflect that the lovely friendship between yeah. Uh, uh, Jimmy and, and, and Mont um, no, gorgeous gorgeous piece of cinema um, lovely. Uh, and the performances are lovely too. absolutely and if I'm not going to ask you have you seen it because you haven't so no, I haven't that's yeah, okay there's a lot of stuff. things to be watched yeah. it, it, it's it, a lot it, of things to be watched it is yeah. wonderful yeah. it is wonderful I have one more choice and then we'll get to some honourable mentions but I'll go quickly I wanted to go Antipodean mm. um, there you like that I've been up all night <laughs> practising that word that just means this is set in Australia in Sydney Lantana have either of you seen this one no, no. No. That's no problem because a lot of people haven't. I saw it in the IFI 
20 years ago at this stage. Lantana is a plant. And I'm not sure if this is actually the case or I've dreamt this, but I think it's the Australian version of Magnolia is what the filmmaker is trying to say. If you remember the Paul Thomas Anderson movie Magnolia, where all the different stories that people are going through interact. Lantana is a plant similar to Magnolia in that it has, well, it's not a similar plant, but he's basically making another movie where all these stories interact and there is a plant source. And Lantana is this, I know nothing about botany, but I read that this is a plant and you do see it that has this nice flower on it, but there's this undergrowth. You can you can see the analogy here. And it's quite pervasive in suburban Sydney, apparently. And what you have in this is Antony de la Pagla playing a cop who comes across a dead body. And it turns out that that dead body, and it's not a spoiler because it's early on, is Barbara Hershey. And she's a therapist who his wife was going to see. And we meet various characters in all these interacting ways. He, be- Anthony Lepaggia, when we meet him at the start, is having an affair with a woman. Later on, that woman's ex-husband meets Anthony on the street just by chance and they start talking and it has these wonderful interactions and it's a story about marital breakdown. Barbara Hershey's character is married to Jeffrey Rush before she passes away and we see her for nearly half the movie. She's worried about something that might be going on in Jeffrey Rush's life. And that sounds a bit like Magnolia, but I think this is a better movie than Magnolia because it's a proper human drama. And even though I enjoy Magnolia, there are no frogs falling from the ceiling or ceiling. <laughs> or as much as I enjoy Amy Mann, no one is singing over credits or anything like that. This is a real even though it has this convoluted story about humans and how they all might interact. It's a real honest look at human relationships and in particular marriages and how complicated they can be at times. And everyone is on utter fire on this. Barbara Hershey, Jeffrey Rush. It's almost like they're not acting. It has a kind of documentary feel to it. It is so realistic. There is a scene where Anthony is out jogging and he bumps into another guy and it is so like something you could imagine happening in, I don't know, Donna Bate or <laughs> Castle Bar or somewhere, the yeah. way these two people interact. It's so organically told and humanistic. It's absolutely delightful. And no one has ever heard of it for reasons yeah. I don't know because it is a remarkable film. Neither of you have heard of no. it, right? No, I Shame on you. But I am sold. Yeah, it's Please watch it. Yeah. Please yeah, watch it. Now, I sold it to someone and they went, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> so maybe it's me. Okay. There's another movie, Smoke. Paul Oster wrote it and it's in a cigar shop in Brooklyn and I sell it to people and a lot of people come back home about that but anyway so I could be wrong I don't think I am when it comes to Lantana if you've just tuned in you're listening to a special screen time where we're talking about some movies we feel don't get the attention they deserve I've been joined by Chris Wasser and Aoife Barry we have just a few minutes left for some honourable mentions Aoife is there a movie or two you want to quickly squeeze in that you think people should have watched and haven't very quickly Mikey and Nikki which is Elaine May does Cassavetes starring John Cassavetes and Peter Falk 
I mean, unbelievable. Um, yes. gas, gas food lodgings starting. Yeah, Rose quickly Bob. remind people what that's about. It's about gas food gas lodgings. Gas food lodging. I think it's Alison Andrews is the director. It said it came out in the nineties. It's about two young girls living in a in a town. I think in Arizona, two teenage girls. It's just a lovely teenage coming of age film, but it's kind mm. of dark and a bit gritty. And Farouza Balk always brings that like grittiness and that darkness yeah. to your roles. Um, in the cut, which was huge at the time, starring yeah. Meg Ryan, um, and Mark Ruffalo, kind of your erotic murder mystery film. It's so good. Directed by Jane Campion. If you can ignore the really weird bits where there's a person's ice skating she could have cut all those bits out of the film but the rest of it is so good and, and the ice skating is just kind of randomly it's like here. an imaginary kind of yeah. scene but it's I just love this film so much and the book by Susanna Moore is so good um, And even though they changed the ending but anyway and then Girlfriends which came out in the 70s re-released recently on DVD uh, independent feminist US classic about a young uh, photographer trying to start off in life it's a total treat I saw at the IFI recently and you can, okay. you can Girlfriends. buy it now. Girlfriends yeah um, I, I can't remember the director's name but it okay. is from the yeah, 70s from the 70s early okay. 70s Ahead of its time. Yeah, very much, very much. And and a lot about women and careers, which you don't, you know, it's not about women and and necessarily women in relationships, but women and and their careers as well as friendships. Girlfriends is in girlfriends who are friends. Yes, absolutely. Um, So yeah, that's great. What I would definitely recommend picking Uh, that up. And do it. High neck pace, impressive. Thank you, Chris. Another honourable mention before we go. I think my life should have included. I think my life as a courgette might be one. Okay. Uh, a wonderful French Swiss uh, stop motion animation. A uh, really weird story about a, a young boy who um, accidentally kills uh, his abusive mother um, and ends up in in an orphanage. Uh, he didn't do it on purpose, uh, and I know that sounds very very dark, but it's such a sweet story just okay. about a kid just trying to figure himself out and. Uh, just trying trying to find his family outside of the one that that that, that he was given. Cloud Brass uh, uh, wrote and directed it, and I think it barely qualifies as as a feature film. It's something like less than seventy minutes, okay. uh, but just one of the most beautiful animations uh, that I've seen in years. Uh, and then the the other one is The Lost City of Zed by James Gray, uh, with Charlie Hunnam um, as Percy Fawcett, the British explorer mm. who set out uh, uh, to Brazil uh, a very long time ago to try and find a lost city in the Amazon, and you have Robert Pattinson in there too. Um, it's just a, a, a fantastic old school adventure mm. uh, uh, story. You also got Tom Holland playing um, uh, Percy Fawcett's uh, son. Um, and also, I think that one, of, one of the best things, or one of the only good film roles that Charlie Hunnam has ever had. And I remember interviewing Charlie Hunnam for uh, Guy Ritchie's awful uh, King Arthur film. And the whole time, I was just trying to steer the conversation back to The Lost City of Zed. And I think he knew how bad King Arthur was going to be because I finished the interview by saying, congratulations on The Lost City of Zed. I really love that film. So yeah, if you Aww. missed this, uh, like an awful lot of people did, uh, uh, check it out. The Lost City of Zed. Excellent. You've been listening to a special screen time where we've been looking at some movies we feel don't get the love they deserve. Normal service will return when next we return. Delighted to have been joined by Aoife Barry and Chris Wasser. Guys, thanks a million. Thank you. Thank you, John. If you want to join the conversation, let us know, even retrospectively, if you've agreed with our choices, if you've ever heard of some of those movies, some you feel don't get the recognition they deserve. You can email us screentime at newstalk.com. Thank you for listening and talk soon.